0: Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hey, mate, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, great to be back. How are you?
0: I'm very good. I'm very good. This is our first chat for 2022. And we're going to do uh, eight companies, and we're going to do them in 40 minutes. So we've got a bunch of US companies, which you'll be covering. And we've got some ASX companies, which I'll be covering. So for each, uh, five minutes, we're going to give every company a score. So we're going to give them like a, a grade, if you like. So out of, uh-huh. you know, from A plus down to fail. Um, I don't know if there is one of these failures in here. There might be, if I just flick through my notes that you've uh, written. Um, is there maybe... Oh, there's a D. One company gets a D. So this is going to be a bit of fun. Um, There are a couple of A's in here, some B pluses. I think I've been a bit more um, on the fence with a few of mine. But we've got a lot to talk about, mate. Before we get to that, um, how's life? How's 2022? I saw the new 7investing pick you came out with for for Feb.
1: Yeah. I mean, life is uh, great. It's a new year, new sun um you know and uh yeah but no life is always good right yeah. <laughs> there's more volatility there's more volatility in 2022 than 2021 but that's okay that's yeah. life
0: yeah there is so has that um sh- like uh shaken you at all or how have you taken the volatility
1: Look, like, you know, I just assume that there's going to be volatility. So, you know, that's a good, good opportunity sometimes to buy certain things. And, you know, again, as if, if you're an investor, then you have to be prepared for volatility. In fact, if you're, um, it's a life lesson, right? We always have to be prepared for volatility because life can be pretty volatile. So, yeah,
0: it's a it, it's been
1: fine. It's, yeah. you know, it's not been pleasant, but it's been fine. when there have been opportunities.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. I think we're going to talk about one company today, which is Twilio, uh, which is a business that I've looked at for a long while. And based, on, I saw your tweet the other day, which I'll include in the show notes. Um, and it's one of those companies that has kind of found its stride. And it, too, has been quite volatile. So um, some really interesting com- companies coming out of the mix. And um, I think this is you know, as an, as an investor has been doing this for a while now, I think to myself, it's actually, it's actually a good thing because it presents opportunities. Of course, there's uncertainty with inflation and interest rates and the economy, et cetera, but it's, it, there is a lot to be excited about too. So um, if you can move past that, if you can have that thick skin and move past that behavioral kind of monkey brain telling you to run away, um, I think if you keep your head on your shoulders, there, there will be more opportunities. So mate, i um, We'll include links in the show notes to the latest in 7investing picks. If you head to 7investing.com slash subscribe, use the RAS code, That's R-A-S-K. Uh, you can get a- access to Nirvana's uh, latest picks as well as all of those from the past. Um, let's jump off with one of the biggest companies in the world, a favorite of the Australian Investors Podcast, one that <laughs> I own and I believe you own, uh, which is Apple. Trades under the ticker symbol, AAPL. Tell us a little bit about this, mate. Let's start the timer for five minutes.
1: All right. Okay. So Apple, it makes Apple computers. It makes Macs. It makes iPads. It makes iPhones. It makes Apple Watches. It sells services, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Most likely, you, if you're listening, you're probably listening to it on Apple podcast. If you're doing that, that's great. We love you for that. <laughs> so what did it do? <laughs> what did it do? Earnings per share was only $2.10 versus, um, you know, uh, the, the expectation was one eighty nine or something like that. Hmm. Uh, it was up 25% year over year. Okay. This is a small little company. That's only growing its revenue at 25% per year. Um, sorry, yeah, earnings per share at 25% per year. Revenue was 124 billion dollars. 124 billion um, it significantly beat its estimates. Up only 11% year over year. How does that happen? That your revenue grows 11% and your uh, uh, EPS grows 25%. Well, some of that is operating leverage. Some of that is share buyback. Gross margin went up. That is very, very interesting in a in an environment where things are more costly. I would have thought gross margins would actually compress. Gross margins went up. They were very high, 43.8%. Um, a couple of things I'll point out very quickly. Uh, installed base of Apple devices is 1.8 billion. 1.8 billion, mm-hmm. not million, 1.8 billion. Uh, growth was pretty broad, based across all categories. Uh, another number I like to quote, people forget this, but as Apple is a services business too, they had... 789 million paid subscriptions on their platform. That's up 165 million in just last 12 months. That is just unbelievable. Services gross margin was 72.4%. What is really interesting is just three years back, the services gross margin was 62.8%. Right? So, that is a phenomenal leverage that is showing through in that business. Services is now in north of $70 billion annual run rate business growing about like 25, 24%. That is the size of Fortune 50 company. Um, fantastic business. One of the things to watch is Apple doesn't spend a lot on R and D compared to some of the other companies. It does not spend a lot on CapEx as well. So you're trained about companies. this. Yep. Yeah. Think about the efficiency of this business. It can generate the largest amount of revenue possible through very careful spending of money. I love that. I'll give this a great A plus, And I think I did it under time.
0: Oh, you did it very under time. Um, yeah, I think, well, let's just talk about it. Apple um, is one of the big tech stocks, one of the FANG stocks that's just powered ahead. Um, we've seen some of the businesses falter. One of them we'll talk about in just a minute, but um, it's been impressive. And you know what I think is really impressive as I don't, We didn't really get to it there, but the Chinese segment, the Chinese business is actually Mm. growing incredibly well. Whereas a few years ago, there was a lot of tension, obviously, when Donald Trump was president um, and trying to get product in and out of China and privacy and source code, all that sort of stuff. Um, But now it's taking off and it's still seen as the premier brand in China, which is a massive market that it's not untapped, but... It's a huge, huge growth market for the business over the next decade. So not just on the hardware side, but also on the services side. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd agree with you. I own shares. We're both, we're we're in the presence um, of another bull here. So we're both, pretty keen on this business and we both have owned it for a while so a plus for apple i like it Uh, and if you need to know the 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 ratings or the the scores or the grades that we give the companies we'll put that in the the show notes so you can uh, glance down at your podcast player if you want to find out what they are um so the company we're going to shift gears completely we're basically going to go from sixth gear probably down to first in terms of the market cap spectrum and we're going to move to a company called playside studios which is a company i've been tweeting about this past week PlaySide Studios is an Australian triple A rated game developer. So what they do is they create games mostly on mobile, but also on cross-platform now. Um, and that's typically games um, that are kind of like these kids' kids' games, if I kind of generalize, um, although not a lot of kids play them because you have to pay for them. Um, so basically the business model is twofold. Uh, you have them creating their own games, which is called original IP. And then they do this work for higher stuff, which is where they might work for... Facebook, or more recently, they announced a 10-month deal with Activision Blizzard. Um, and so they they kind of have both sides of this business. The work for hire keeps the revenue coming in the door while they create their own games and launch their own titles. We recommended PlaySide a while ago here at Rask, but also um, I mentioned it on the podcast. I mentioned it I, and I shared the interview with CEO and um, co-founder Jerry Sackers. And um, so what's happened in the past week? Well, uh, PlaySide Studios in, I think it was 2019, um decided to buy something a franchise of think of it just like character sets it had some games it had some videos and if you're from victoria as i am um, on the train system in the metro train system here in melbourne you would have seen these little characters that look like beans with arms and legs and they would always be shown dying so i know it sounds grotesque but there might be one with bullet holes in it another one that's cut in half whatever and the idea was to improve safety on trains so it's kind of a catchy thing that could appeal to young people in particular, but also just catch the attention of everyone. Anyway, this brand that was created for the Metro MetroTrain system kind of died. And, um, and it's funny because it's called Dumb Ways to Die. Uh, and Jerry Sack has recognised this and the team at Place had recognised that this brand has a lot of assets in it that they can use across TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, et cetera, to drive awareness for other things that they're doing. So they could take that basically that creative IP um, and now they've since turned it into ten thousand different characters, which they are going to create into a game in twenty twenty three. And the basic the basic idea is this: Playside bought the Dumb Ways to Die franchise for I think it was two point two five or two point five million dollars. If I just get these numbers up, let's have a look at this. Yeah, so two point two five million dollars, um, and it actually was only last year, so twenty twenty one. My mistake. And what they did is they have since taken those 10,000 characters and turned them into NFTs, non-fungible tokens on the Ethereum blockchain. And basically what they did is they said to all of their users on discord and on social media, you can come and be part of this um, NFT minting. So where they create the NFTs and uh, you can buy your character effectively, and you can become the digital owner of that character. And then when the game is developed, it's basically becomes your skin and your avatar in the game. And the average selling price of these was around about a thousand US dollars. And they ended up selling about 7,700. Uh, a, a couple of thousand actually, what actually happened? So they made about $8.4 million and the share price went up like 30, 30 or 33% or something. Um, and what actually happened is 2,000 of those NFTs were kind of not, were kind of like, they said they were going to pull, the, pull up the, the sale at 7,700 NFTs but somehow the final two thousand or so got minted anyway, and they were purchased dirt cheap, and so the company had to buy them back to make good on its um, on its word to its users, and so it bought those back, and so it had to make two ASX announcements: one saying we just made eight point four million dollars, and the other one saying we just had to buy them back, uh, buy some back for about five hundred thousand. Um, now I know I've gone on for a bit of time here, but this is a really unique case of a company on the ASX selling a digital asset on the blockchain which is still a kind of gray area for a lot of regulators um, and they've basically returned the value of their purchase of this franchise fourfold from one nft offering and they also I'm led to believe they also get um, recurring payments from um, secondary market sales of the nfts so that's a lot of that's a lot for people to digest you can jump onto Twitter and you can learn more if you want but um, yeah it's a I'd give it a this whole All of the shenanigans, probably like a B or a B plus, just simply based on the fact it hasn't been done before. Um, There are a lot of critics to this, what they've done, um, but there are a lot of people who think that this is a really um, interesting way to drive awareness for a new game and get players to effectively buy in by purchasing their characters up front. So they've taken this 8 point whatever million, and um, they've now announced that they're going to hire 20 developers to work on the game. So that's play size, that's NFTs, and I went way over time.
1: Oh, well, that sounds fascinating because you basically got paid for hiring people. <laughs> that's pretty that's, that's actually that's fascinating. Good... Fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. I so they
0: basically it. it's yeah. like they crowdsource the the, the development I and mean, in return for people crowdsourcing it they effectively get their own skin or their own avatar in the game so that they can be unique in that in that world that um, bean land. So um yeah, it's 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 a fantastic it's a fantastically innovative thing. I don't know if it's necessarily something that um you yeah, know, for some people don't really like it because they think it's kind of like a bit artificial in terms of what do you actually get and are the prices yeah. transparent, so on and so forth. Anyway. Yeah.
1: And it's, so, and is
0: it repeatable? That's it. Yeah, that's it. And I've questioned that um, separately for our members. But yeah, that's, um, that's PlaySide Studios, P-L-Y on the ASX. We're going to move back to the US to Google or Alphabet with the ticker symbol G-O-O-G. Mate, over to you.
1: Yeah, so we went from small to, again, really large. Uh, Google had a fantastic report. Uh, earnings per share was uh, thirty dollars and roughly seventy cents. Thirty thirty dollars seventy cents versus expectation of somewhere around $27. So that was a significant beat on expectations. The reason we talk about beat is because a lot of times the share prices actually move based on whether you beat or you missed those expectations yeah. that analysts had. Revenue was $75 billion, uh, which was super solid. YouTube, they've started breaking this out. YouTube advertising revenue was about six eight $8.6 billion, uh, which is again solid and uh, revenue growth at cloud uh, now this is the thing to remember here is that uh, when they talk about Google cloud this talks about the Google cloud platform plus Google suite uh, of online services that they offer that was about 5.4 uh, 5.5 billion versus expectation of about somewhere around 5.47 again handy beat they spent about 13.4 uh, billion uh, versus expectations of 12.8 billion this is not this is not a good beat they spent more on traffic acquisition costs which is basically they were Amount that they pay mm-hmm. to get in front of uh, of leads. Um, so, for example, they pay Apple to be the default search engine or or, not, or the preferred search engine for on, say, Safari. Uh, so, you know, so there are other payments that they make to other people to just get in front uh, to, to acquire data overall i think this was a fantastic report um so when you look at the f- uh, 5.4 billion 5.54 uh, billion for the cloud you know, assume 80% of that is actual cloud uh, cloud platform uh gcp that's pretty f- pretty solid. That puts it at about a, you know, what, like $16, $18 billion revenue run rate per year growing at faster than the overall cloud business. The overall cloud business grew probably 45%. This maybe probably grew about 50%. They don't break it out. Mm. Um, that is fantastic. The the key number that they did tell you is they have a $51 billion of backlog. This is revenue that they are going to book. In Hmm. the future, 51 billion, most of it is because of the cloud and cloud services. Uh, That has increased 70% year over year. So that tells you something about, you know, a lot of revenue to come in the future. Hmm. Um, The the other takeaway for me was, uh, or there there was another takeaway. They had 65% year over growth in the number of cloud deals worth 1 billion. Okay. Now the one key takeaway for me, looking at all sort of the cloud results or the big cloud provider, the internet as a service or infrastructure service providers was, that all of them saw significant growth on the cloud, which basically means that if you have a SaaS business that you're looking at, those should also be growing because a lot of those SaaS businesses are actually running on top of these cloud providers or so GCP or Azure and things like that, right? So if if the underlying platform is growing, then you would think that, uh, oh, you know, software that's running on top of those are also growing. If then your software company does not grow, then the problem really is with your software company, <laughs> not with anything else, right? Uh, mm. Because it looks it's like there I is secular it? growth. Yeah, so that, yeah. So that's, I think, I would, you know, I would, with a little bit of uh, uh, holding my heart, give uh, Google an A plus. I will make another observation. This is not actually on the sheet. I think for for the longest time, Google's PE was ahead of Apple. I think only now, Google's PE is actually dropped below Apple's. I would call that <laughs> bullish for Google <laughs> because you have a fast growing business that's actually at a lower PE than Apple. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. And Google has announced that 20 is to one stock split and that's it. That's it. Mm.
0: Yeah. I think that stock split is going to open it up to a lot of investors who don't want to do their, um, you know, those partial purchases and, and whatever. And they actually want to own their own stock because um, yeah, I know a lot of our members that are new to investing want to own one of the companies that they know really well, which is Google. Um, but they couldn't, couldn't buy a whole share. So um, yeah, it's, it's a it's a great business. Um, I own shares in it, and I was really interested because I, 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 when you did your notes for the episode, you actually reminded me of this: that um, sixty there was sixty five percent year over year growth in the number of cloud deals with over a, worth over a billion dollars. Um, and based on the million rhetoric,
1: million, dollar, million dollars
0: uh, million dollars sorry sorry yeah, um, so um, so when I was uh, listening to the calls and based on the rhetoric from the last few years from the team. There has been a huge in- increase in enterprises looking at GCP for analytics um, and for those deep integrations, where well, they could go to AWS or Azure, sure. But GCP has kind of found its place in the market um, and it's 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 really interesting. So it's really interesting to see how fast they're growing. Of, two, of course, the other two, the, the two beasts being Azure and AWS are still um, growing really fast as well. But um, I think the other takeaway that I had from Alphabet was... Um, the youtube revenue i thought that was quite unbelievable um you know we have always known that it's it's a massive platform but um if they could do something like they've done with youtube with google maps or something like that i mean there's even more growth yet to come i think the one if i could have one kind of uh i guess cautiously optimistic um statement it would be that um a lot of the companies that i'm seeing a lot of the um online retailers e-commerce businesses etc are it's saying that the, the shift with the iOS um, privacy changes is actually leading to a lower ROI for their marketing budgets. So I don't know how that will fare for Google, but um, incredibly resilient business. Sorry, that was your, your company, not mine, but I just love it. So I had to say something. Um, my next company, I'll be quick. Um, and it's I think it's the second biggest company by market cap in Australia now after BHP's reunification. So CBA is uh, Australia's big bank. And it reported these results. So, operating income was up 2% to 12.21 billion. Statutory net profit up 26% to 4.76 billion. Cash net profit, which excludes a few things, uh, up 23% to 4.75. Net interest margin was 1.92%, which was down 14 basis points. Uh, There are some swaps and some wholesale market stuff in there that affected that. Uh, And the interim dividend, which is one for the franking credit fans, was up 17% to $1.75 a share. I'll give it a grade of a B plus. Um, If we exclude the loan impairment expense, so the benefit that the company or the bank got from lower uh, uh, impairments, um, impairments being, you know, for bad loans and those types of things, um, the operating profit was up 4%, um, which is still a pretty strong result. But I guess the declining interest margin um, is a is a sign of concern for some investors, particularly as um, interest rates globally fluctuate, uh, the yield curves start to change in bond markets, etc. Um, CBA, just for people that don't know, CBA's um, capital position is actually pr- pretty strong. Um, it exceeds you know APrA regulations. It exceeds even most international regulations. Um, it's got a lot of deposit funding. It is also um, I guess, the leader in, in technology. So it also runs a very lean business. Um, and I guess just overall, it's important to understand that in a rising rate environment, we'll probably see more impairments. Um, if, if interest rates do increase on home loans, we'll probably see more impairments, which will then lead to uh, lower profits on that line item. So um, the guys at REST Media, both Jazz and um, Lock, they, uh, they've um, covered these results pretty well. So if you want to go back and you want to look over the last few years, what they've done is they've actually excluded the impairments. So you can see kind of how the business is growing without the impact of um, those accounting measures. But overall, uh, CBA's result was pretty strong. A B plus, probably the net interest margin is a weak spot. Um, and the, the the volume growth, aka the amount that they're lending, um, was better than the market average. So some pretty strong results all around from CBA. If you like your dividends, I think it's on a dividend yield north of 5.5%. Um, so that's CBA, B plus from me. Uh, Number five is a company called Twilio. It trades under the ticker symbol T-W-L-O. Mate, fascinating company. I think it's worth an introduction to this business. We've talked about it briefly, but not too much. So maybe you can tell listeners, particularly those non-technology folk, what this actually does.
1: Yeah. So very quickly, Twilio is basically, you can think of it as a sort of uh, communications as a service platform. So um, assume that you are a business and you want to send uh, text messages, you know, when an order is received and you have paid for it and is now on its way and things like that. You can enable those text messaging um, services using something like Twilio. Um, Or when, you know, if someone, like say, you know, a do dash driver wants to call you, they want to call you through a generic number, not through their phone, you know, they can enable that sort of communication happening a voice communication happening via using a Twilio or so just Twilio basically provides APIs or application programming interfaces that allow developers to build tools to do communications right then uh Twilio acquired a company called SendGrid which basically is an email marketing company so it gets into this marketing angle of sending out emails for you know whether it's for um you know your your e-commerce uh, uh, sale has gone through. Now it's you know it's on its way. It's on transit. Now it's going to be delivered by this. You know all those sort of things. So you know marketing communications and follow up using emails. Then it acquired a company called Segment, which is basically about customer data management, right? And all of these three things nicely fit together to sort of change the Twilio story from not just being a communications as a platform company, but to being a customer, an enterprise customer data company. Why is this important? This is important because of sort of changes in privacy regulations, especially as you've mentioned a few times, iOS changes to privacy, which means tracking is very difficult, uh, which means it's more expensive to, um, uh, to acquire customers, mm. therefore, or reacquire customers, right? So if you have a customer, you might as well keep that customer, engage with that customers. So engaging with your customers is sort of the story that Twilio is all about. And that's centered around the segment uh, data pack platform that they're building. So that's it, it's a company that has undergone a few transitions, and this is undergoing this other transition. It's a pretty large company in terms of revenue run rates. If you think about it, it it reported about 840 million in revenue this uh, quarter. Uh, the Q4, that puts it at $3.2 billion run rate, uh, it significantly beat its own guidance for revenue and also the analyst expectations, still loss-making, which you would wonder, well, how does a $3.2 billion run rate company actually print losses? That's because communications as a service is a lower gross margin business. So it's a gross margin on those things that's pretty low. So Twitter's overall gross margin is about 54%, which basically means on a gross profit basis, this is a about a 1.5 billion dollar gross profit business, and they have been aggressively investing for growth. So. Um it's a relatively sticky though, if you think about it, and it has high dollar cost, uh, sorry, um, dollar based net expansion in terms of people who use it actually tend to use more over time. So the company is now at a sort of a stage where it should be able to scale. They have said that 2022 is the last year where they will be printing uh, basically an operating loss and they will tip into operating profitability in 2023 going forward They're They're sort of advising the market that they sh- should be seeing 30% plus revenue run rate growth, revenue growth um for the next few years. I think they can handily do that and probably beat that because you know their organic run rate, organic growth has been around the 40% mark for some time. Um and there's some acquisitions that are driving it. Uh, and then we'll see the mix of services change over times from just messaging to these applications that have higher um, run. It's a developer first company run by um, a, a co founder and CEO, Jeff Lawson. Really interesting company, sort of forward thinking and really well placed given the headwinds um, caused mm. by privacy regulations and um, privacy changes in, in architected by Apple and pro- probably uh, what Google is going to do in terms of, you know, antiquating cookies. That's going to change the game in how sort of people advertise. So advertising mm. might become a more brand centric instead of, you know, targeting and following people around, um, which mm. will, works well for, you know, things like Google because you, you know, search is an intent, you advertise your intent right so you can therefore po- you can surface up ads based on that intent that's an mm-hmm. advantage that you have if you have a search engine um and, but many customers would you know enterprises will want to actually work closely with um uh, using Twilio's tool, so Nike, for example, is a customer that has done really well using their tool. So I really like this company. Uh, it's pulled back a lot because it was a big COVID play uh, to some extent because messaging was important. But that doesn't mean that messaging has disappeared. And they've given a pretty solid, uh, a, you know, Q1 uh, guidance, um, inclusive of you know the acquisitions that have made. Somewhere another 45 to 47 percent uh, growth, they'll probably beat that. Um, yeah, so I really like this company. And I would not give it an A plus, but I'll give it an A for solid execution and, you know, a focus on um, on developers. Mm.
0: I really like that, um, the way you frame that because, and particularly, so just to, to rewind what we meant, uh, what Anirban meant there on intent is basically on Facebook, your av- your ads that would follow you around because they would know what you've been looking at. Whereas uh, they don't really have a native search engine. You don't really plug into uh, Facebook new hairdryer, but you would do that on Google. So then... When Google reads that, they know your intent instantly. They don't need you to do things on the platform to figure out what you want. Um, so that's why a lot of advertising dollars are going. I think that's really interesting. And then things like retargeting through a platform like Twilio are going to become more important, right? Because if you can, if you know someone is a customer or had intent, let's say so they put something in their shopping cart but they didn't go through with it. You can then send them an email or you could send them a text message if you've got that information, which becomes more important for marketers um, to, to re-engage. So, it's a yeah, it's a really interesting business. And when and I followed uh, quite a bit, we actually use SendGrid to send our transactional emails at Rask. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting company. And it's also important that you pointed out that it's developer first, whereas, say, a company here in Australia called Whisper might be a bit different to that, Um You know, you would write, you can actually write all your own code in SendGrid and, you know, do different templates based on what different customers do. So it's a really fascinating tool with APIs and all that. Um, My company is a company called Nanosonics. It didn't actually come out with its results. That's, I think, next week. But it actually um, came out with a trading update and also came up with an operational update, which sent the shares down 16% on the day. Um, So... For those that don't know, Nanosonics trades on the ASX under the ticker symbol N-A-N, or not another number. If you're a developer, that's what you'll remember. Um, so uh, Nanosonics does a, something that looks like a microwave. So it goes in a hospital and it disinfects ultrasound probes. So um, so a radiographer would put the ultrasound into this microwave-looking thing. It would disinfect it with some chemicals and out pops a, a sparkling clean ultrasound probe that can then be used in the next person who might be awaiting surgery. Um, so nanosonics makes money in two ways. It sells the machines, but it also sells the consumables, like the the, the bits and pieces that go along with testing and maintenance um, and also kind of what they call consumables, which are, you know, it can be like the, the liquids and all these types of stuff. Um, and so what's really interesting about this is that the company is quite, it's massive in North America. So um, as of the first half of 2021, the business had 22,120 units. These are called Trophon units. These microwave type things installed in North America. Um, the next closest was the Asia Pacific region at 1,600 units. Now, what's really interesting is the way that this business had sold its um, devices was through GE Healthcare, and GE Healthcare had been on this long-term kind of distribution slash reseller agreement with um, Nanostonics, and the the most recent agreement that Um, nanosonics made with GE Healthcare was in 2017, which then came into effect in 2019 and was supposed to go until later this year. So as in 2022. However, what happened was um, it was released this week that um, it was kind of um, put out to the market this week that that deal had been pretty much severed um, a few months short of actually ending. And what was going to happen is GE would become more like a pass-through reseller. So, Nanasonics would now have to take care of all of like the end sales and um, meeting with customers in hospitals, installing the units, training people, all that sort of stuff, whereas GE would do that in the past. And so, this is a massive deal because GE made up so much of the sales and the distribution effort, obviously, for an Australian company trying to sell into the US it's a massive market. Um, but the short of it is now um nanosonics and ge are in talks to formalize another agreement which might come into place from july 2022 but it's not going to be the same um nanosonics talked about earning more revenue from this new deal because they will be selling direct but also they'll be paying more out for sales stuff it's estimated that they'll have about hundred staff on the ground in in, uh by the end of the agreement in um north america and new sales will start flowing through in 2023 um, so the impact of this is between, six, uh, between $13 and $16 million to revenue. So that's what they potentially forego. Um, but they will have the direct operations staff ready to go by the end of Q4 2022. It will result in higher gross profit margins because they'll be earning all of the revenue or most of it themselves from hospitals. Whereas um, under the old agreement, GE would take a clip where but the, the, the difference is instead of have, it might have a higher gross margin, but the operating margin may be lower because they'll be incurring sales team expenses, general and admin, travel, that type of stuff. Um, the the thing I guess that was hidden by this negative update was actually something that was I'll just pull out here at the end, which is that the company expects to report revenue of sixty point six million dollars in the first half of FY '22. That will be up forty one percent year over year. So this is, it's still experiencing pretty massive growth. And this is important to note because the company makes the majority of its money from consumables revenue, not from actually selling the unit, which is what GE did for Nanosonics. It's actually been a few years since 2019 that Nanosonics has been doing all of the consumables themselves. So the business actually makes more money that way anyway. Um, so it's not doom and gloom for nanosonics. It's just a transition period. I think if I could draw out one final thing before I throw it back to you is the company is facing a stiff competitor competitor by the name of um, Germantech or Germantech, which has this thing called Kronos. It's a new device which hasn't been, received all of the approvals yet, but it is a competitor to um, the Trophon unit by Nanasonics. Nanasonics, by the way, is also moving into endo- endoscopy, um, which is another growth lever for the business uh, from 2023 onwards. So that's the, uh, an update that sent Nanasonics, one of the market darlings, down 16% in one day. I think the update was good in terms of like management were transparent, they were honest about the risks. Um, it's not a great thing to lose a major supplier, but it does actually de-risk the business from having a concentration risk if they can pull off the direct sales channel. So overall, not a very good update for those existing shareholders, but um, I'll give it a B. Um, it's kind of arbitrary, but I'll give it a B because it's not bad. It's not terrible, but it's not the, the best thing that people are expecting uh, when they work up to a 16% fall. Nanosonics, I think it went over time. I have a uh,
1: question for you. I know, yes. uh, you know this is a speculation. Why don't you think Nanosonic isn't acquired or do you think that could... because it makes sense if if you know if it's like a company like striker or someone that sells medical devices and has those relationships with hospitals and therefore has the foot across the door if they acquire it they can actually for very little delta grow this business and you
0: know mm. um you know,
1: yeah is that's... the share for, is the share price fall enough for someone to lobby a bid
0: well that's the thing um it's 1.4 billion dollar company still and it's um I'm just going off Google Finds because I don't have the numbers here in front of me. PE ratio says 168. That could be depressed because of COVID. So maybe it's something to do with simply the valuation of the business. But I I tend to agree with you that uh, the business itself is actually a really interesting business in the sense that it kind of does its own R&D. It brings out its own products, even if they do take a little bit longer than expected. Um, It's got a really solid uh, market presence in North America. It's got opportunities throughout the world it does make a lot of sense to be an acquisition target. Um, and it's, you know, I know you've followed it for a long time. Um, the The business itself is actually a business that has, you know, it's been around for a while and has been growing pretty steadily. Someone like that could have uh, bought it three or four years ago for a lot less than they bought it today. So who knows maybe we'll be having that same conversation in five years but um yeah it's, it's I, I, the only thing i can think of is evaluation so um yeah. number seven company number seven second from last is a company that received our lowest score um for the day and for the week which is meta systems aka facebook trades under the nasdaq ticker symbol fb soon to be meta tell us a little bit about it mate what did it report
1: yeah. So, I mean, the revenue uh, number that they reported was a pretty high revenue number for a company like uh, of this, you know, 33.67 billion versus 33.4 that was expected uh, by analysts. It was a beat. Earnings per share, however, came in at 3.67 per share versus 3.84 expected. Um, and uh, yeah. I think that the stock took a huge hit, uh, 20% plus, massive 20% plus, you know, when a $600 billion company falls by 20%, that's like $120 billion approximately. That's like a CBA plus wipe top in one day, just just to put that (laughs) into a context, right? So um, why did that happen? That's because their guidance for uh, next year or next quarter implies that they're gonna only grow between 3 and 11%. They're blaming Apple for about $10 billion revenue loss for the year. They're saying that the new iOS uh, privacy changes uh, is really hurting targeting. More, more and more people are saying, I do not want to be tracked when that thing pop, pops in. That's not a surprise to me that people who want you to be tracked in their right mind, you don't want to be tracked. Uh, and it looks like um, they haven't made enough changes Vis-vis other companies that are growing quickly in the same space, like Snapchat and TikTok. So, one of the comments that uh, Mark Zuckerberg made in the call is that they're having a hard time competing with TikTok um, in, in the short video format. They have yeah. a product called Reels that is, you know, it's again, one of the things I like to say in this space is. Um, if you're not innovating and producing new products, but you can't modify, you know, nobody's going to associate Facebook or Instagram with Reels, re- really, because that's TikTok, right? You, you know, so if they had to innovate, they had to invent something like TikTok in a standalone app, not as a part of the same app which people associate with something else. It's just how people's mindset works. Um, and I think they have some challenges ahead, uh, given regulation and so on. So uh, it was a bit surprising because of their results compared with uh, other people's results snapped to 40% plus this year and they in, into advertising as well but they do a more of brand advertising versus you know yeah. you know targeting advertising which is what uh, Facebook does um yeah so I give it a d Uh, largely for a couple of reasons. One of the things, I put a Twitter poll out in which which I asked, my question I asked, is this the new uh, Yahoo of the 2020s? And uh, and of course, seventy-eight percent of the people are thinking that seventy-two percent of the people thought no. Uh, and I think what they were thinking is that, well, you know, this company is going bankrupt. No, I don't imply this company is going bankrupt. It's actually not going to go bankrupt. But you know, people forget that Yahoo, at its time, its peak of its revenue was one of the largest software re- or companies' revenues at that time, around two thousand seven to. 2008, um, it was then bought out by the companies and something, something happened. It didn't die. It was founded run. It was started by uh, Jerry Yang, who was from Stanford, an electrical engineering graduate from Stanford. Uh, so it's not like they didn't know stuff. But um, I, I just think that one of the issues with Facebook is this does not own its own um, destiny because they an application after all, lots of people can develop applications. Applications can get to scale today very quickly because of virality of other platforms. So, um, and because they don't control the protocol stack or the, the technology stack, they are uh, in many ways hamstrung by what happens elsewhere. Um, so that, that's a big thing. The other thing that you know people, so Zuckerberg has been a great capital um, allocator when it comes to buying things right? Mm. But whether or not Facebook has innovated enough within itself is a big question mark in my mind. I haven't seen them come up with the next Instagram, right? That's TikTok. <laughs> they mm. haven't come up with, they've tried to, they did try to buy Snap, but they didn't come up with Snapchat, right? Whereas innovation would mean that they would come up with those things and seed them and help grow them, right? Um, that's one. People point to there being what, 2.8 billion people on their platforms put together something like that, $3 billion. It's very hard to monetize those free users that you've got in the rest of the world in places like India. Um <laughs> advertising revenues, most you know, bulk of the advertising, the average revenue per user is all North America. If you slowly, slowly whittle that away. Um, right. And network effects might appear to be strong, but this type of network effect can go away also very quickly. People forget that Yahoo had Yahoo chat and Yahoo Room and they had users and they had yeah, they had email um <laughs> at that time at that time those would appear like strong network effects and strong reasons to exist but you know stuff happens mm. so i give it a d for execution mostly very poor execution on their part
0: yeah i am i'm an owner of facebook shares and uh, i i gotta admit it was um it was a tough pill to swallow because we saw like that it was it was foreshadowed the, the the difficulties with privacy i just didn't think they were as bad as what um management kind of led us to believe. Um, and I think what we've seen more recently is like this, this shift in power um, to Microsoft, to Apple, uh, and to an extent to Google as well. Um, and away from this, these pure advertising plays and businesses. Like, we, we've seen growth in Snap and the and, and like, but, um, yeah, Facebook's had a younger generation or a younger demographic problem, um, and it's that innovation is also something that's interesting. Um, I, I think some listeners wouldn't know that Facebook also owns WhatsApp and Instagram. Um, it's not just the core Facebook brand. But um, the thing that has kind of caught me is that uh th- the business can't make the acquisitions that like you, like you've you said. It can't make those social media media acquisitions because Facebook, quite frankly, is not very um, friendly with politicians and regulators. So it can't go out and just buy whoever it wanted like it could in the past. There was actually something brought up by Matt Matt Cochrane, um, your colleague, um, who he, he tweeted something which I thought was really interesting because of Microsoft purchasing Activision Blizzard, which is its huge foray into the gaming space um trying to monopolize basically the the vertical with xbox and uh, cross platform um what facebook could potentially do now is make a bid for another game developer like or publisher like say roblox or something that's more metaversy trying to push into that space um because it would be very hard for regulators to block facebook if they approve microsoft's deal so that's something that they may be able to to wiggle through but um yeah, it's, it's a pretty tough one. It's slowing growth. Um, those users have been slowing, even though it is massive. So um, there, are, there are levers it can pull, but interesting times for Facebook and for Slash Meta's shareholders. Uh, the final company that I'm going to give a C plus two to um, is a company that... Uh, is well-known to Australian investors. It is called Computer Share, trades under the ASX ticker symbol CPU. That's easy to remember. Uh, Revenue was up uh, to $1.2 billion, or up 4.6% year-on-year. Earnings before interest and tax was $157.8 billion, uh, increasing 17%. Earnings per share, 22.7 cents, up 4.5. Interim dividend of 24 cents at, uh, that was 40% franked, up 4%. Um, The outlook for the company, um, which is for FY22 um, and it's for what they call management earnings per share, is now expected to increase by around 9% over the prior corresponding period. Um, so there are a couple of things to note with computer share. I'm giving it a C plus. I probably could have – it's more not a reflection of the results, more a reflection of the company itself. Um, every time I think about, oh, maybe I could recommend computer share to our investors and to our members at RASC, I think – how on earth would I justify, how would I, how would I come up with a thesis for this company? And basically the best thesis that I've ever heard for computer share is interest rates are going up, therefore it's going to make more money. So, um, and so just so you know, uh, computer share um, is a share registries business. And what that means is if you've ever bought an ASX or any stock basically from anywhere, um, you would have got a, a letter in the mail or an email confirmation from your broker that effectively says, here's how you can vote um here's how you can register that um, for the next agm or whatever and that comes from a share registry like computer share like link market services whatever um and they get paid by the company so the companies choose the share registry and the registry speaks basically with the broker that you choose and that's that's basically how it all comes together um and so that's traditionally how computer share makes money um and why does what does that have to do with interest rates well Computer share, if, if you receive a dividend, say from BHP, it might go through a share registry like computer share, which is then paid to you from computer share. Um, so it's BHP's dividend, but it goes to someone else before it comes to you. And what happens is computer share holds onto that money for a few days, and that's a lot of money. It can be billions and billions of dollars. So as interest rates go up, um, computer share can earn interest on that money that it holds on behalf of clients. Uh, and that's substantial. So um, in, in Lachlan's article on RAS Media, he he, he took out a quote from management that said if interest rates increase 1% on the exposed average balances, this is from management. We currently, we can't, from the exposed uh, average balances that we currently manage that would generate an annualized earnings per share increase of 26 cents per share. So 26 cents per share, just to, um, to let you know, they reported, um, in the period at 22.7 cents of earnings per share. Um, so, I mean, this—that's only for the half year, by the way. But um, so that's a big increase in the company's earnings. The problem is when you get computer. Share, in my opinion, the problem is when you get computer share. You can just get a bunch of other stuff, which comes with it. Like you get debt. You get totally different businesses. Like you have to try and understand this. Like I've often joked that CBA shares. Um, is where capital goes to die. Um, computer share is not quite as bad as uh, QBE. Um, it's actually a really good business, but it's just got a lot going on. So it's hard to build that thesis around it. Um, but if you do believe that interest rates are going up, you can easily see why insurers and companies like computer share um, are all of a sudden getting a lot of attention. Um, so computer share, I'll give it a C+. Plus. Um, I think it was a good result. It's pretty solid. It's reasonably solid, but um, they recorded report a lot of um mumbo jumbo to be honest even for an analyst like myself like here's one of the metrics which is management revenue x um i think it's market impact management ebit x market impact um there's yeah it's just there's a lot going on and i just can't get my head around it too easily so um c plus um, good for shareholders that own it because the shares have responded pretty well um and good for you if you own it um not one for me but that's our eight companies so just to recap what have we covered First of all we covered Apple which got an A plus um, no surprises there from the two of us Playside Studios for its NFT offering got a B plus alphabet um, or, aka Google got an A plus for massive um, YouTube and cloud growth uh, CBA uh, B+ with a bigger dividend um, keep a watch on those impairments Twilio benefiting from this the privacy changes is a great tweet from Minibarm which you can find on in the show notes. Um, I'll put a link there it gets an A Nanasonics from um retreating from that ge healthcare deal gets a b um keep an eye on that that set of results that come out soon meta systems aka facebook gets a d from an airborne because it's um failing to innovate amongst many other things failing to respond to ios changes and computer share gets a c plus because i was put off by all of the um the different charts and the debt and the uh but all, 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 all things considered, interest rates are, are good for computer share. So eight companies, we covered that in probably just over 40 minutes. Mate, this is heaps of fun. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, about get your latest recommendations, where can they go?
1: Uh, you know, you can always find us on Twitter. So you can find me at 7 at, uh, Mahanti. You, you can find uh, Owen at, at Owen Rask. And yep. if you want to find out what we do, then, you know, you just go to seveninvesting.com investingcom um, and you can see what we did. Lots of free articles. And if you want to subscribe, then it's forward slash subscribe. You yeah. don't have to subscribe.
0: Yeah, You don't have to. There's heaps of material on seveninvesting.com. Um If you want to just learn about things like portfolio management or how the team selects companies, there's videos, there's podcasts, some fantastic podcast if you want to listen to a podcast from seven investing it was from last year one of my favorite was um with the i can't remember his name off the top of my head rocket lab founder uh, out of new yes. zealand um now in the states fantastic discussion with with simon um so yeah fantastic if you want to learn more about me you can head to ras.com.au or we'll be back uh next week with more podcasts so as always mate thanks for joining me
1: thank you for having me